Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it feels like it's been a long time since I've preached uh, at Bridgeway. You've had the Psalms of Asaph, Psalm 73 to 83, that have been brought to you by seven different people this summer. Seven different perspectives on those Psalms of difficulty and struggle, and it's been good. And I want to assure you that I haven't been hiding out in my office, and I haven't been uh, somewhere on vacation. I haven't been um, in a corner somewhere eating Oreos and milk. I've been seeking the Lord. I've been waiting on Him. I've been asking Him, what are, what are you up to, God, in the middle of everything that's happening in our world, with all the unrest and all the rioting, all the looting, all the racial issues, and on top of that, a global pandemic? What are you up to, God? And this morning, I believe that God wants to encourage your heart. God wants to speak specifically to you through his word. He wants to encourage you. God wants to let you know that he hasn't abandoned you, that he still loves you, and that he is still completely in control of his universe. Amen? Amen. And the scripture that I have chosen to start our new series today is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And now some of you are kind of looking at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and you're saying to yourself, um, Pastor Nick, didn't you just preach the book of Hebrews just like uh, in May? <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right. But when we hit the book of Hebrews uh, in May, we were really kind of focusing on the supremacy of Christ, how Jesus is better than everything else. And so when we got to Hebrews chapter 12, what we were focusing on from the book of Hebrews, from the chapter of chapter 12, we were focusing on the idea that, that Christ suffered and so we can suffer. And that's an important lesson and so that's what we focused on. But there were the first two verses that we kind of skipped over. Sometimes the hardest part about preaching is figuring out what you're not going to say. And so I was kind of glad when God said, no, let's go back to Hebrews 12 and let's talk about prayer. You see, the one thing that God has been saying to me through this whole COVID pandemic nonsense, both, both as a child of God in my own right and also as a shepherd of God's sheep, the one thing that God seems to be saying to me over and over and over again is that I need to seek him, that we need to seek him. Not just uh, accommodate him into our lives, uh, not just have our fire insurance where we believed in him as a small child and we were baptized and, and, and so we're good to go and now we can carry on with our lives kind of on our own, but, but really God wants us to seek him. He wants to be all. He wants to be everything to us. Not just an hour and a half of church on Sunday or, or an hour prayer meeting on Wednesday. God wants to move in and take over our entire lives. And so we need to be recovering our passion for Jesus. We need to reconnect our hearts to God's heart. We need to strengthen that connection that we have to God, particularly in a time of pandemic. He truly is all that we need. And if we seek him with all of our hearts in prayer, we will find him. And connecting our hearts to God's heart, I mean, that's actually a whole lot more radical than we sometimes think, it, it, more than it appears. It, it actually makes us a little bit nervous because God is not content with 99.9% .9 of us. We have this strange reluctance to give God everything. We want to hedge our bets. Leap of faith without a net makes us want to hedge our bets. Waters never part until our feet get wet. And I want to ask you this morning this question. What if 
we jumped? What if we jumped? What if we just leaped in with both feet? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. What if we jumped? What if we just leaped in with both feet? What if we just gave God everything? Now, prayer is not easy. Prayer speaks of an intimacy with God that's never going to be comfortable. There's, it's always going to be, a, a, there's going to be difficulty to it. There's going to be reluctance. There's always a part of you that wants to grab some fig leaves and go hide in a garden somewhere. And there's a few of us, when we call ourselves to prayer, to seeking the Lord with all that we are, there's a few people who won't join in. There are a few that, that like their religion shallow and manageable and undemanding. They like that, and they don't want to go deeper. They don't want to give God 100%, and so they won't uh, participate. Or, or, or maybe we say to ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm a private person, and, and my prayer life with God and my relationship with God is, is really quite private, and that's just the way God has made me, and so I don't want to participate in prayer because I've never prayed out loud in my life. And I, I want to challenge you on that thinking because God has called us to share him with our world. And if your relationship with God is just this private thing you do that nobody knows about, how are you being an ambassador? How are you proclaiming the goodness of the one who's called you out of darkness? And how are you encouraging your brothers and sisters who need to hear you speaking about the goodness of God out loud, both in Scripture, in bragging about him in your own life, and in prayer? Or, or, or maybe there's some of us that don't want to join in seeking God's heart because the reality is we've got a secret to hide. We've got this sin that we've been nurturing. This, this, this part of us that nobody else knows about. And we're just not prepared to bring that to the light quite yet. And so we don't want to participate because we know that if we start giving God 100%, he's going to want to start dealing with that, that .01%, that little, that little corner of darkness, that little cupboard of sin that we're nurturing. We don't want to be 100% honest with God because we've got a secret. And so it's not going to be easy to talk about prayer and it's not going to be easy to seek God completely and honestly in prayer and to practice prayer together. But God's word says where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. And while there's an incredible value to having a private prayer life, to going into your closet and praying, to have this time where it's just you and Jesus, God's word also says there's all these promises that are connected to those moments when we, the church, two being the minimum number, gather in his name to seek him in prayer. And so we're going to seek him in prayer. We're going to keep our hearts connected to God. We're going to jump. Now, our scripture is Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. We are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And so let us strip off every weight that slows us down. I want to take a second to just set the context of this. The book of Hebrews, you might remember, is a book written to Jewish believers to explain to them that Jesus is better than everything else. Jesus is all that they need, and he is better 
than their old religious system of sacrifice and law and covenant and all those sorts of things. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the high priest. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Jesus is better than a goat or a sheep that we bring for a sacrifice. Jesus became our once and for all sacrifice when he died on a cross for us. He took our sin. His death covers all sin. God accomplished the forgiveness of every human being ever through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not just the people who lived after Jesus. God actually covers everyone through Jesus Christ. Even the dudes who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, people like Moses and Abraham, even they were saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the cross not only is something that happened in time, but it's also something that transcends time. And so all people, everywhere, every culture, all times are saved through one way only. And that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. His death covers it all. So that's the first 11 chapters of Hebrews. Jesus is better than anything else that you got going on. And then having said all of this, the writer says, let's... let's Let's pursue him, Hebrews chapter 12. This passage falls pretty naturally into a three-part outline. I didn't invent it. I wasn't the first one to see it, and I, I, I won't be the last, and I don't even remember where I got it from, but it fits our scripture, and it fits our message this morning, so we're going to use it. And I'm going I'm to just show you how this passage says that we need to look back, we need to look ahead, and we need to look up. So first, we need to look back. Number one, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Looking back. There really are some great men and women of God in our history, and you and I live in a day and age where we have so much more access to to the source of hope and inspiration and encouragement, the lives of other people. Consider people who have struggled, who have walked the walk of faith before us and be encouraged by them. We are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. God says, let me tell you a story about a man named David. This guy, David, was like, he's a man after my own heart. He's not a perfect man. Don't get me wrong there. He had lots of problems. But he was a passionate man, David was. And so I chose him to be a king in Israel. And not only that, but I chose him to be the great, 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 great grandfather of my son, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about David. And then God tells us the story of David right in God's word. And we're supposed to read the story of David and we're not supposed to say, hey, David was an incredible person. I'll never be like David. Only a boy named David. No, we're supposed to read the story of David and say, David, man, he had a great faith in a great God. And yet he was an ordinary man. He was an ordinary man with a great God. And because of that, we look at David and we go, what, what, what if my faith was more like David's? What if, what if I took risks in my life the way King David did? What if I jumped? And then God says, there's this girl named Mary. And I, I want to tell you about this, this girl named Mary because I love her so much and she loves me so much. She's a righteous young lady, even though she's just a teenager. And, and I chose her to be the mother of my son, Jesus Christ. I laid a burden on her that was virtually impossible to bear, unwed and pregnant at 16. And she bore that burden marvelously. 
And God says, okay, I'm going to tell you about Mary. And he tells us about Mary. Not so that we would worship Mary. Silly people. What are you doing worshiping Mary? No, it's so that you can look at Mary's example and say, Mary's just an ordinary girl who has an extraordinary faith in a great big God. What if my faith was more like Mary's? What if I had that kind of simple trust where I could say to God, whatever you want to do, here's my life, take it. Here's my life, take it. What if, what if I just jumped like Mary did? And God says there's this guy named Simeon, and, and Simeon's this old guy, and he's followed me his whole life, and he hasn't seen a whole lot of me. Simeon has, has lived in his 20s and his 30s and his 50s and his 60s, and it's been barren wasteland, spiritually speaking, but I gave him one promise. I told him that he wasn't going to die until he saw my son, and Simeon became the first temple witness to my son, Jesus Christ, in his 80s or his 90s. And then God tells us the story of Simeon, and we look at Simeon, and we think to ourselves, what if my life what if my whole life, everything that I go through in my teens and in my 20s and in my 30s, what if all of it was just leading up to this one moment of faith, this one moment where I speak out and I welcome the Messiah in my 90s? What if my faith were like Simeon's faith? What if, what if I jumped? You see, God's littered the pages of his scripture with story after story after story of men and women who have leaped, who have dared, who have trusted. And I say the word littered with reverence because truth be told, sometimes I find myself wishing that this book didn't have quite so many stories and maybe a little more doctrine, like, like a little more thou shalts and a little bit more explanation of how I'm supposed to live in this situation instead of all these stories. But God loves to tell stories he loves to brag about his beloved dust. That's what God does. And so there's all these testimonies. And, and, and not only in our Bibles, there's these testimonies that we have. We have the, the, the biographies of the great men and women of faith. There's this one book. It's called George Mueller, God's Man in Bristol. It's been so informative in my life. It's the story of George Mueller, lived about 150 years ago or so, lived in England, and he ran a couple of orphanages simply by faith, by prayer. He was known as a man of prayer. But he wasn't an extraordinary man. He was completely ordinary. He was an ordinary man, running an orphanage or two, trusting in God. He was an ordinary man with an extraordinary God. Faith. And his prayer life demonstrated that. And so I've, I've read this, this book, George Mueller, God's Man in Bristol. I've read it probably four or five times in my life. George Mueller's faith inspires my faith. And there's other stories like that. You can, you can get Just As I Am, which is the story of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham is maybe the greatest evangelist in history. And yet, just an ordinary man with a great faith and a great God. That's all he was. Right? Chris Marantika in Indonesia. Maybe you've never even heard of him. I cannot dream less is his story. It's an amazing story. Shadow of the Almighty, the story of, of Jim Elliott and, and, and the first the missionary martyr in South America. An incredible story. Jesus Freaks, written by DC Talk. Just the record of all sorts of people who have been martyrs for the faith. God's warrior. A short little book that I have in my library 
that's about an indigenous elder in my hometown, northern BC, and his faith journey. We are surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses, men and women who have gone before us, who have showed us what faith in God looks like. So we need to think about them and ask ourselves, what if, like them, we jumped? Looking back. Number two, looking ahead. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And breaking it down, there's actually three smaller parts to this important advice given to us by God. And so as we begin to think about uh, seeking God in prayer and, and connecting our hearts to his heart, there's a couple of good things in here. Number one, we need a structure for success. We want to strip off every weight that slows us down. And there are things in our lives, there are things in our church that are not necessarily sin, but they're things that hold us up and that keep us back, that keep us from all that God has for us. Can I be honest with you? When I was in Bible school one time, someone, someone said something along the lines of, of this. They said, if the Holy Spirit left planet Earth on Saturday night, on Sunday morning, 90% of churches would carry on their programs as if nothing had changed without the Holy Spirit. And they would carry on as if nothing had changed. That scares me. That, that thought terrifies me. And yet I know that it's true. I know that so much of what goes on in the church is just fluff. It's just busy work. And so much of what goes on in my life is just fluff. It's, it's things that aren't bad. They're just keeping me from more of God. Meaningless activity. Perhaps Perhaps that's God's plan for this whole pandemic. Maybe what God is doing is he's stripping away everything so that we can ask ourselves what really matters. Maybe God is saying to the church, you know, you've been playing at religion for a long time and it's not really impressing me. It's not a reflection of my heart. And, and your focus on your building and your building programs and all the money that you spend into these great big edifices and glass ceilings and all of those sorts of things, it just it doesn't impress me, your buildings. And all this focus that you're putting into all of these activities, all these ministries, and you're just, you're learning and learning and learning, and you're never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And you've taken my, my Bible, and you study my Bible, and you don't know me and I'm just, I'm just not impressed with that. I'm not near as impressed with that as you seem to think I should be. And your worship, you spend so much time on your worship and, and trying to get worship right and writing all of these songs. But how do you gauge whether worship is good or not? Because it made you feel good? Because it, it, like worship should be a reflection of the heart of God. And sometimes I think God looks at all these things, these activities that we engage in that are not necessarily bad. And he says, it just doesn't impress me that much. It keeps the church 
insulated from real faith, from real prayer, from real discipleship. And God is saying to us, you think all this other stuff impresses me, and it, it just doesn't. And we actually have a once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity right now as a church when government restrictions and pandemic fear have stripped away everything we have this glorious moment to ask ourselves what really matters to God what if we just focused on the one thing that God wants from us and we stripped away everything else what if we jumped Structuring for success, stripping off excess weight. Secondly, turning from sin. The sin that so easily trips us up. Now, sin trips you up. It may look like it's fun for a while. It has its attraction, but it's death. It's death. It kills your spirit. Sin destroys everything that's good in your life. Sin absolutely decimates the person that you were created to be. Sin leads to death. This summer I was talking with my son Matt in the hot tub about, about this, this idea that sometimes a group of Christians get together and because everyone in the group is Christian, we relax. Ah, we just, we relax. And, and, and it can happen, like even in Bible school, and there's a group of Christian guys that are sitting around and they're talking about purity and, and not looking at a young girl in lust and, and, and really kind of trying to seek after the heart of God and, and how difficult that is for a young man. And then one of them tells an off-color joke and they all laugh and the next thing you know, they're all engaging in the sin of lust and telling dirty jokes. Or, or, or a bunch of Christians uh, get together in a Bible study and, and, and they're, they're, they're sharing prayer requests. And so they're, they're concerned about this person and, and, and it starts out as a good thing, but then they start telling stories about this person. And before you know it, the whole Bible study is engaged in, in the sin of gossip. Or maybe two couples get together and, and they say, you know, the Bible doesn't actually condemn social drinking it says wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, so it warns us. And it says that drunkenness is a sin, but, but Jesus turned water to wine, so the next thing you know, the two couples are breaking out a bottle of wine, and that's fine until all of a sudden they cross the line into drunkenness and sin. We need to be so careful about sin in our lives. We, we, just, we need to be so careful about the sin that so easily trips us up. We need to turn from it. We need to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We need to confess our sins and turn from them. And if you're listening to this sermon right now, and you're out there in internet land somewhere, and the Holy Spirit is nudging your heart right now, please pay attention to him. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, there's a way out. There's forgiveness. If you turn, confess it, bring it to the light, find someone to talk to about it, and turn from your sin. It keeps you from everything that God has for you. It keeps the church from everything that God has for us. So we need to turn from sin. We need to jump in with both feet. Jesus is worth it. Thirdly, find your fit. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, I like that word endurance, and I could be speaking about endurance right now, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk about tenacity, dedication, resolve, stubborn, resolution, determination, because that's actually such an important idea that we're going to take a whole sermon in this prayer series in about four weeks 
we're going to talk about persevering in prayer. And so what I want to focus on here instead is Scripture's encouragement for us to, to run the race that God has set before us. And I like that idea because it's a race that God has set before us, not before anyone else. And so there's a uniqueness to each one of us. There's a uniqueness to you. You've been called by God, chosen by God, uniquely gifted and skilled by God, but there's an us in there as well. You're not an independent entity. And that's why this whole isolation in a pandemic has been so hard on us. And not just you extroverts who are suffering on like day two of the pandemic, but also for introverts like me who are starting to suffer on day 175. We're looking around and going, hey, you know what? I actually do need people. <laughs> All right? We, we need each other. That's how God has created us. And my hope is that one of the things that you've been thinking about during this time of pandemic, during this isolation, is you've been thinking about your place in God's kingdom, your role in the body of Christ. Why are you here? What does God want you to do with your life? Is God really more concerned with your trust than he is with your comfort, as Chad so eloquently put it last week? And if he is... How do you move deeper into trust? And how do you move further away from comfort? (laughs) I kind of think that the question holds the answer. It means that you have to be willing to try things that are not comfortable for you. You need to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. You can't just say, well, that's just the way that I am because part of what God is calling us to all the time is, is, is this discomfort, this, this part of ourselves where we go, this is beyond me, but I know God is calling me to it. And so in faith, I'm going to step out. I'm going to leap. I'm going to jump. It is far beyond what I think I'm capable of, but if God is helping me, then no weapon formed against me will prosper. And can I be honest with you guys here? After all these years, it still frightens me to be a pastor. Like to have 250 of you looking to me to be your shepherd, to bring God's word to you, to kind of lead the church, that, I'm not capable of doing that on my own. That is so far above my skill level that if I don't daily depend on God, I am sunk and so are all of you. I'm just, I'm not entirely comfortable with it. I, I still get nervous before I preach. I freak out a little bit before funerals because people are at life and death situations and they're looking for me to talk about God. I, I have qualms before I go to a visit, hospital visit. I don't like praying out loud in front of other people. I, I don't. It makes me vulnerable. And I've had people in my past that have taken my vulnerability and and used it against me. And and so it's not easy being a pastor. It's not easy for you either. It's not easy stepping out of your comfort zone, stepping into something that you cannot do on your own. You know, there's that saying, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's a lie. It's garbage. 
It's not true. It's not found in the Bible. God regularly brings you to a place that you can't handle. That's what he does. Because when you reach the end of your hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to rise to the level of our incompetence and then go one step beyond that so that we're walking in faith. We're not walking according to things that we think we can handle, to skill sets that we have. Oh, I've done this before. I can handle it. No, he's asking us to step out into something that is not easy. Now, it gets easier over time. I can assure you of that. I no longer throw up before I preach. I did that before the first dozen or so sermons that I, that I preached. I did. But, but trust and vulnerability and awkwardness, it's not easy. So you need to find your fit. You need to move away from comfort and you need to step out in faith. What if you jumped? What if you jumped? So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, tells us we need to look back. Faithful men and women of God who've gone before us. It tells us that we need to look ahead, that we need to faithfully run the race, not, not just to compete, but to win. And the third thing that Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us to do is to look up. To look up. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and who perfects our faith. And so we circle around to the whole theme of the, the entire book of Hebrews. When we come to Jesus, we're not coming to a mountain that, that shakes like an earthquake and that rumbles with fire and it's covered with clouds. Jesus is actually more awesome than that. When we come to Jesus, we're not coming to a set of beliefs or doctrines that we give mental assent to. No, no, no. Jesus is much more awesome than just a list of doctrines. When we come to Jesus, we don't come to a, a list of do's and don'ts, a manual for life, a rule book for the game. No, no, no. Jesus is so much more awesome than that. Jesus doesn't want part of your life. He wants it all. He doesn't just want your Sunday mornings or your Wednesday nights. He wants it all. Jesus doesn't want your trust that he will end COVID. He wants you to trust him right now as you're walking through it. He wants it all. Now, there was this phrase in my morning devotions that absolutely skewered me. A couple of weeks back, I was reading about Joshua and the terrible fear of invading and taking over a land full of giants. And God's word says this. It says, when you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have not gone this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile before them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. You have not come this way before. Joshua and the people of Israel, they're, they're the children of slaves who've lived their whole lives in the wilderness. What do they know about fighting? What do they know about conquering a land? They've been following a box. And God says, you have not come this way before. And I thought to myself, man, how often does God actually do that with his people? 
Isaiah 43, 19, I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun it. Don't you see it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers and dry wasteland. Jeremiah 31, 22, how long are you going to wander, my wayward daughter? For the Lord is going to cause something new to happen. Israel will embrace her God. Revelation 21, 5, the one who is sitting on the throne says, Behold, I am making everything new. You have not passed this way before. When Daniel was given strange food in the king's court, sacrificed to idol, it was a new thing for him. When David faced a giant on the plains, just a sling and some rocks, it was a new thing for him. When Joseph was accused of sexual assault by his master in a strange land, that was a a new thing for him. When Paul was thrown into prison the first time, (laughs) that was a new thing for him. When tongues of fire descended at Pentecost, that was a new thing for them. When Christ rose from the dead, that was a new thing. COVID-19, it's a new thing. None of us have ever lived through a pandemic before. We have no idea what God is up to. We we have all these fears and doubts. Everything that was once comfortable for us has been stripped away. We can identify with the people of Israel caught between Pharaoh's army and and the the Red Sea. We can identify with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're the only ones standing and everyone else is kneeling, bowing, and the furnace is burning. We, we, can, we can identify with King Hezekiah. We look out over the city walls and there's 185,000 Assyrians camped outside the city. We can identify with Noah, who's building a boat when it probably has never rained before, trying to warn the scoffers that God's judgment is coming. We can identify with all of these people because we have not passed this way before. We're going to go where we've never gone before. And the whole reason that we can have confidence, faith, and trust, the whole reason we can put our feet into the water, the whole reason that we can jump is centered around the one who goes before us. How are you going to face the unknown? How are you going to face the unknown? You don't know what tomorrow holds. No one knows. And the reality is that your life is a succession of unknowns. Things that you can't control. Your life is full of variables that you'll never be able to fully understand. You have not been this way before. And you can pretend that this is a decision that you can make, that this is a situation that you can control, that this is a moment that you can direct. You can pretend that. Or you can acknowledge that this is simply a fact of life, that each one of us is on our way into the great unknown. And whether you acknowledge it or not, it's a fact of your existence. You have not gone this way before. God's simply wired all of humanity this way. None of us have gone this way before. Each one of us has been created by God to take leaps into the unknown. To jump in with both feet. We say to God, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I, I know who holds tomorrow. So I'm going to step out in faith. We say, we say to God, I don't, I don't know who's in control, 
but I know that you are in control of who's in control. I don't know how or when this pandemic is going to end, but I know whom I have believe it. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And so seeking the Lord, prayer, simply connecting my heart to God's heart so that in those crazy moments when the unknown looms, when the abyss is the only way forward, I can leap off the cliff. I can take the step of faith. I can let go and trust, not because I know the way, not because I control the future, but simply because I know God and I can trust God. What if we jumped? You have not passed this way before, but if you keep your faith focused on Jesus Christ, you bolster your faith with a great crowd of witnesses who've preceded you, you strip away all the excess baggage in your life, including your sin, and you just simply affix your eyes on Jesus. What if you jumped? What if you jumped?